Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Okay, so we have spent the last nine weeks, including today, the tenth week, um, studying the book of Zechariah. And um, studying this alongside of finishing up the book of Jeremiah, which we finished today in Sunday school, has been very exciting. And so, I don't, I don't know, but I just want to encourage it. As far as Bible study goes, sometimes I like to share things. And so, I don't know if you can see this well, but this is, this is Zechariah um, 12 to 14. You see all the colors on it? Okay, it's just one of the options that you can do when you're doing studies and stuff like that. You kind of colorize things to find out things that are... Um, occurring a lot, important, and that kind of stuff. And so um, it's just helpful to, to see things. And so um, I get a kick when I get to read and study some of these prophetic passages because there's a whole lot of coloring that goes on, you know. I mean, there's just so much to, to cross-reference, come back on and put little notes in there like, boy, he's talking about this and he's talking about that. And it's just really kind of fun. And um, anyway, so I just want to encourage you to do your own studies because honestly, when we come together on Sunday morning and I get to share my thoughts it's kind of like the mama bird feeding the baby birds. You get it? You know, you have to ask yourself, would you rather eat the, the whole worm or just the... Anyways, so anyways, so there's a whole lot more out there that I don't get to share when we come together on Sunday mornings because of, you know, going through a chunk at a time. And um, that I just want to encourage you. I mean, just go to God's Word and just read it and study it. And, and don't just read through it, but just as you read it, just kind of ask God, God, show me something here, you know? And, um, and then just take the time to cross-reference and go back and forth. We have so many tools in our, in our day today. To whom much is given, much is required, okay? And so we have much. We have much. We have great opportunity. We can't stand before the Lord and say, I, I just didn't have the opportunity. You do have the opportunity. So this is the, the outline. We've been going through the, the five words of Yahweh to Zechariah. We're culminating now. We're in the fifth word in the second part of it. We're finishing it up today. And um, last week we saw, again, that it was all about the restoration of Israel, um, physical restoration, spiritual restoration, and then ultimately the political restoration. And it happens in the end times, in that day. And we spent time talking about it. But I mentioned the fact that it's all contiguous together in that the second part, the spiritual restoration, really was a parenthetical thought that ties together the physical restoration with the political restoration. And um, before we move on, if you just, you're close to it, go to, go to um, Haggai um, chapter 6. I'm probably wrong on this one. My mind, yeah, it's not, not in the Haggai. Um, go to, um, come, I know, there's the chapters, I know, the minute I said that. Isn't, isn't it funny how your mind just blanks out? No. Chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. Um, wow. My mind just went totally... I'll, I'll find it. Because now it's a what? It's a challenge for my brain. It's on. And I'm on the clock. That's right. Hosea, 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 Hosea. Begin with an H. Hosea 6. Yeah, there's one of those awful moments where it's like, you've got to think of the word that I'm thinking but you haven't got a clue where I'm going. So, <laughs> You'd be showing signs of pro- being a prophet if you would have guessed that one for me. 
Hosea 6. Look at verse 2 and 3. I'm going to start at verse 1. Always start in verse 1. Come, let us return to Yahweh, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of Yahweh. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter in the former rain to the earth. You can go back to Zechariah. God has placed it in his word. So many promises to Israel how he is going to come in that day. And he promises, Hosea is like, why do we go to Hosea 6? Because he gives them even an indicator of timing of when he's going to do it. After two days, I will what? I will revive my people. A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day unto the Lord. You can take that for whatever it's worth, okay? But after approximately 2,000 years, what did God do? He revived his people. He promises that on the third day, he will restore her to power. That's what we're talking about in Zechariah 14. That's the exciting part. But it's, gonna, it's not going to come void of any spiritual working. But God's going to bring him back into the land. And then he's going to cause the nations. And we saw this last week as we went through this. He's going to bring Israel back into the land. Chapter 12, he's going to cause them to be a nation. But when he brings them back into the nation, he's going to cause there to be this execration, this angry denouncement and cursing over them. It's really kind of funny because I, this week I was looking for maps potentially that I could use and show you the, 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 how Israel has, has gone from 1948 and even in the early 1900s um, from the Balfour um, Declaration and stuff like that and, and, and how Israel has, has grown and stuff like that. But you either, what you find is you either find things that are pro-Zion or find things that are anti-Zion. I mean, there is no balanced um, position on this thing. You know, I mean, I just wanted to find just some generic maps. Give me some historical maps so I can kind of show this thing. Oh, no. I mean, they're either um, just destructive of the Palestinians or it's so pro-Zion that it's like, well, I can't trust that map either. Okay. And so, because they want to show that, you know, while well, they really haven't done some of the things that they, they, they have done. So, but anyways, but what I find in doing all that is exactly this. Israel is a cup of trembling to all peoples. They are a very heavy stone for the nations that are out there. I mean, think about it. They're, I mean, you can really divide up the world by those who like Israel and those who don't like Israel. And right now, the United States is being defined by this very statement. Are we going to back Israel or not back Israel? I mean, there are even people in the conservative, quote-unquote, conservative realm who are going anti-Israel. Israel's becoming a, a real pain in the, the derriere for, for, for this entire world. And it will become more so, even more so. So just even this week, there were... These attacks are going on, rocket launches and, 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 and uh, air, air assaults and stuff like that are going on. And it's just going to get worse. It's just going to get worse to the point where the nations are going to gather together. As we see, they're going to gather against. God's going to put it in the hearts of, of the governors 
to expand the land. And that's exactly when I talk about those maps. That's exactly what we see, okay? And so if you are pro-Palestinian or anti-Israel, what you see then is this expansion of Israel to totally annihilate the Palestinians, okay? It's a really amazing thing, okay? If you're pro-Israel, if you're pro-Zionist, you're just looking for, for the Jews to have a, a homeland, okay? And so, but both the Palestinians, if you would, forget the Palestinians for a moment, okay? I don't mean that it's wrong politically, okay? But go behind what, what, what we're talking about, the Muslims, okay, and the Jews, that really is the key. I wrote a paper many, many years ago in my officer advanced course. I had to write a uh, current events article. And so I asked if I could write it on the Middle East. And they said, sure. And so I wrote a biblical paper on, on why there will never be peace in the Middle East. And so I, I went all the way back to Abraham and to Isaac and Ishmael um, and then up to Jacob and, and Esau and such and, uh, and just gave the biblical history, bringing it all the way through and just stated there will never be this peace Everybody keeps trying to bring peace to the Middle East. It won't happen. It will not happen. Here in Zechariah, we find when peace is finally restored. But it's not going to be coming easy. Okay? And so this is it. This is how it plays out. And so God says, look, I'm going to do this. Yahweh says, I will make them a cup of trembling. I will make them a heavy stone. Yahweh shall strike the armies with confusion. He shall incline the governors to growth. He shall defend the inhabitants by himself. And the exciting thing we saw as we went through this, and we're not, going to, we're not reading it again, but we're just kind of as a review to bring ourselves up to here, is that it's going to come with he himself coming at the Battle of Armageddon, which we are going to look at in just a little bit, okay? That he himself is going to come. And as we're going to see in chapter 14, his feet are going to, going to land on Mount of Olives. He's going to go then battle in the Valley of Megiddo, which is Armageddon. He's going to destroy the nations. But what's the most exciting part about it is the recognition of Jesus as Yahweh. That they will look upon him, the Jews, when Jesus comes back to be their deliverer, to be their defender. The eyes of the Jews will look upon him whom they had pierced. This is exciting stuff, especially, again, when I talk about when you're talking to a Mormon and you're talking to a Jehovah Witness, okay? I mean, you can't hide this. It's there. Jehovah, Yahweh, is speaking. And he says, and they will look on me, the one whom they pierce. Now, some of your translations may have, they will look upon the one whom they had pierced. But again, even there, you go back into context. Yahweh is the one, Jehovah is the one who's saying that he is going to be the one who comes. So if he is the one who comes and it's he whose feet are, are landing on, on the Mount of Olives, then who are they looking at? Jehovah. And so it's Jehovah. I don't care whether you put in me or one there. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't change the interpretation. They're going to look at the one, me, the one who's standing here, whom they pierced. And they will wail. They will wail like, like they're, they only had one son and he died. They will wail so much. So, so forlorn they will be because they will realize for the last thousands of years they had rejected Yahweh who came to be the deliverer 2,000 years ago and they crucified him. That moment then, we go into the end of chapter 12 into 13 with this aside because now God kind of... Um, segues a little bit, going back to what they did do, how they did this, and how they, they turned him aside, but that God is going to change their hearts. 
He remember because it says he's going to give them. He's going to take their heart of stone. And he's going to give them a heart of flesh. It's not from Zechariah, okay? But he says that elsewhere that this is, and this is exactly when it happens. And, and Paul says in Romans chapter ten, he says in uh, chapter eleven, he says, and so all Israel will be saved. It's this moment. This is the moment where this is going on that 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 God Himself, Yahweh Himself, comes to the earth. He delivers them, okay? And so we're going to read the rest, about the rest of it in chapter 14. But he kind of takes this moment to give us what's going on in their hearts. Not just what's going on in the land, but this is what's actually going behind the scenes. What really is the most important part is this, this salvation experience that's going on. This spiritual cleansing that's going to happen. This revival. I can't even say it's, it's a revival. It's a revival. I love Vance Havner. Vance Havner, if you ever heard of him, he was an old country preacher. And he and I got to hear him speak, not, not personally. I wish I would have. It would have been great. But he says, he says, I don't know why everybody's calling for revivals. We can't have revival. We haven't got people vied. What we need is Bibles, not revivals. And, and it's exactly right. Everybody wants to have a revival when they bring in an evangelist. That's not a revival. That's a revival. <laughs> there are people who need to be saved. They need to come to know Jesus. And probably, sadly, probably a lot of people in churches. And so... So what God says, it's going to be a time of mourning that's initiated by Yahweh himself. It's going to be individual in nature, that each one is going to go on their own before him. It's not going to be a, a national thing, but God painstakingly says, and so um, Nathan's going to come, and his wife, and so-and-so is going to come, and his wife. And the idea is that it's an individual thing. It's not the household. It's not, so Nathan's going to get saved, and so therefore his entire house is saved. But he's going to come. His wife's going to come. It's everybody individually is going to come. They've got to give an account in and of themselves. It's not a national salvation. It's a national deliverance with an individual salvation. Do you get it? It's an exciting time. It's going to be a time of cleansing. God himself, Yahweh, is going to be the opening of the fountain. We sing the song, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. They're going to realize it, that that's exactly, I mean, they're going to look upon him whom they have pierced. They're going to realize Isaiah 53 really means what it says. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our sins was laid upon him. It wasn't us. We're not it. Israel's not the suffering servant for the rest of the world. Actually, the suffering servant was there, and we're the ones who caused him to suffer. Do you get it? And they're going to look upon him, and they're going to realize that salvation is in him alone. And they're going to come to him. And God's going to rebuke the prophets. It's exciting stuff. In fact, it's not even God who's going to rebuke it, but we read there that who's going to rebuke the prophets? The people themselves. They're going to realize that they're speaking untruths. In fact, the parents are going to, are going to chasten their own children. They're going to, they're going to hand them over to be, uh, to be slaughtered if they're, if they're teaching anything but truth. The sacrifice of the shepherd then talks about how Jesus was, was destroyed. But then, oops, I meant the point, actually. Then the refining of the remnant. The refining of the remnant. We see this again. We just saw it, talked about it in, in Jeremiah with the remnant coming out of Egypt um, after they fled there from Nebuchadnezzar against the word of God. God told them, don't go there, stay in the land. And they went there. And, and God was bringing a remnant of the remnant, if you would, out of Egypt. That there was a remnant who fled to Egypt um, disobediently, and so they were destroyed in Egypt. But God was going to spare a remnant of the remnant. And so the same thing happens here in the end of chapter 13, that God says that when, when, when this time comes, 
and we're going to talk about it right in the very beginning of chapter 14, it's not going to be a time, again, of pleasantness. Remember, we, we saw this last week, that the day of Yahweh is a day of what? It's a day of darkness. Okay? It's an, I mean, for us, we're looking forward to being caught up to meet him in the air. That's a time of great excitement. I don't think, I don't think that occurs until Revelation chapter 10. That means that I think that I'm going to go through, which I'm, I am still pre-trib rapture, just so you understand all that. Okay? I don't have time to get into all that. But I think it's in Revelation 10, which means that I believe I'm going to go through the seals and through the trumpets. Okay, And so if you read all that, that doesn't make me mid-trib. It doesn't make me any of that kind of stuff. I'm still pre-trib. But that does mean that I do believe that some of those atrocities that we, we think that Americans get a buy on, we're not getting a buy on. Okay, And so, so there is going to be a purification, I think, of the church that happens before we're caught up to meet them in the air. But for Israel, it's even worse. For Israel, it's even worse. Because the nations are going to be gathered together, and they're going to come after them again. And God basically says, when we get to chapter 14, we'll see it, that he's, he's, he's not letting them pass. He's not coming down and stopping them from doing anything to them. But rather, we're going to see that the women are going to be what? Ravished and all that kind of stuff, okay? But then God is using it as a refining of the re- remnant. And that only one-third, did you, do you see that? Look down at chapter 13, verse 8 and 9 as we come into this. And it shall come to pass in all the land, says Yahweh, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die. But one-third shall be left in it, and I will bring the one-third through the fire. And will refine them as silver is refined. Let's say, there's more than this, but let's say three million. There are three million people in Israel right now. There's more than that. How many will make it past that? How many? One million. One million. Okay? Only one million will, will make it through. Two million will die. Now, we know there's more than three million. Gerard, you got, you got a clue how many are in Israel right now? You just asked that, too. That's funny. Yeah. 10, 11 million? Let's make it 12 million. That's easy, because... 11 doesn't divide by 3 very well. I mean, you don't want me to do the point three, 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 three. Anyways, so let's say it's 12 million. We'll, we'll, we'll bump it up. 8 million people. Go to, the, go to 2009, study, look at the study on the Re- book of Revelation when we go through the, the population of the earth and how many are going to die. In one place it says a third of the earth dies, and then it says a quarter of the earth dies, and another quarter of the earth dies. And you go from 8 billion people, when you finally get down to the end, you've got only 2 billion left. It's an amazing thing. There's going to be a lot of death happening soon. It's not, we're not in it yet. It's not happening. When that time comes, it's going to be devastating. You get into the book of Revelation, you begin to read about all that happens. It's a very devastating time. And Yahweh doesn't say he's going to give them a buy. He's going to let it happen. But then he's going to come to their defense. And that's where we pick it up um, today. That's kind of fun. So, anyways, it got rid of my... Uh, by bringing it in one at a time, you get the whole thing in one shot here. Okay, so there's two parts when we get into Revelation or Revelation Zechariah 14. There are two segments here. There's the gathering of the nations a to war, but then we're going to see at the end of the chapter there's the gathering of the nations for what worship. Okay, and um, and I I, I kind of was kind of chuckling to myself as I actually thought about their gathering of the nations to war and the gathering of the nations to worship. That really worship with an O is the what. 
worship of the church. I mean, what's the greatest way to do battle? First song we sang, the battle belongs to the Lord. What's the greatest way we do battle against the, the, the powers of darkness? On our knees in worship, in worship before our God. Yeah, worship is really the worship of, 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 of the church. Anyways, you can play that one out if you want, but I loved it. Anyways, it'll stick with me now for the rest of my days, you know, just to change the O and the A. So the gathering of the nations of the war. What do we see? First of all, we see, again, the provocation to God, that God is going to be the one who does this. Behold, the day of Yahweh is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. It's not going to look that way. We're going to, we're going to think, oh, oh, this is all because Israel did whatever. But God says, this is on me. I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. You can almost put an insert in there. Just as I gathered Sennacherib to battle against Israel. Just as I gathered Nebuchadnezzar to battle against Judah. Make sense? I'm going to gather all the nations. It's not going to be just one nation. I'm going to gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be what? What does it say? It shall be taken, captured. The houses will be Rifled. What do you think that means? The houses will be rifled. Ransacked, torn apart. Everything in them is going to be, they're going to be taking it, okay? And the women are going to be ravished. Um, some of your versions might say raped, okay? This is a hard thing to try to analyze with God because God says he's going to what? He's going to cause this. This is where you get into the, the, the creed will and the permissive will of God. And how does God cause this? Because again, from the perspective of man, why is all this going to occur? From the perspective of man, why does anything occur? Well, that's, that's, that's from our perspective. From, but from the perspective of mankind, why does anything happen? Because somebody made a choice. Somebody made decisions. Remember, we're talking about Jeremiah, the decision path. There's decisions that are made, okay? So there is the, the, the balance between what's on the earth, the terrestrial, and what's going on in the celestial when God's making his decreed wills. So does it take God by surprise that the United States is as the United States is? It doesn't as well, at all. Romans chapter 1 says, what's God going to do with, with a nation who acts like we act? who turn, turn away from him and choose to worship the creation rather than the creator, what does he do? He gives them over. He gives them over to how? To their own, to their own lust, to their own lasciviousness. I think what that is is he just takes his hand off. So when you look at the wrath of God, it's not him volitionally doing it, but taking his hand away, saying what? Destroy yourself. Okay? And so how does God say he's going to bring these nations? Probably by not stopping them from coming. I want you to think about that. How long do you think it's been for Satan that Satan wanted to destroy Israel? Since the beginning. So how long do you think the nations have really wanted to gather together against Israel as a nation right now? Since at least 1948. <laughs> do you get it? I mean, we see it in 67 in the, in the, in the Six-Day War, right? Okay? 
and, and all that's going on. And there are nations who are funneling arms to Syria and Lebanon and all this kind of stuff. To, for what purpose? Destroy Israel. Okay, so it's it's going on, but God is preempting it. God is holding it back, and God's finally going to do what? He's going to take his hands away, and he's going to gather the nations together. You guys want to do it? Bring it on. Bring it on. Israel is a nation. Who are they looking to right now for their defense? The U.S. Yeah, okay. To us. To themselves. To their own prowess. What percentage of that nation do you think is turning to Yahweh? It's just as bad as us, isn't it? Sadly, most Jews are secular. And they're not looking to their God. And so God is going to, once again, hand them over to the nations. But this time, he's going to do it so that he can come and show himself. So when he does that, then, we have then the presence of Yahweh that's going to come. So as he hands them all over, um, we go back to chapter 14. And he hands them over. Verse 3, then Yahweh will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. Who's going to go? Yahweh himself. Jehovah himself. He's going to go. Again, so this is, again, one of these things that you want to remember this stuff when you're talking to Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons and stuff like that. This is a very clear thing where, where physically Jehovah is speaking, Yahweh is speaking, that he will go himself. And in that day, verse 4, his feet... His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem. Does that sound like a physical thing? Does that, does that sound allegorical? Does it sound figurative? No. It's giving a very, coming through this whole thing, he's giving a very physical description of something that's going to happen. Okay? And so, this is all going to go on. And so, in that day, Yahweh's feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. I don't have time to get into the large valley. You can go into the book of Revelation and, and, and read a little bit more about that. Um, and, and, and read about that. But Yahweh's going to come on the Mount of Olives. He's going to come with all of his saints. And he's going to come at an undisclosed time. Verse 6 and 7, we read, Thus says, um, end of verse 5, Thus says Yahweh, Thus Yahweh my God will come and all the saints with you. It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be in a day which is known to Yahweh, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. I wanted to, before we got into this, until my slide messed up and it confused me, go back to Revelation chapter 16. I have become very slide dependent. <laughs> It's too funny. It really is. Okay, in Revelation chapter 16, um, I want to read these two passages that are up top there, okay? So beginning in Revelation 16, we read, Then the fifth angel, this is beginning verse 10, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven, because of their pains and their sores. Isn't it amazing they don't believe in them? But when bad things happen, all of a sudden they start blaspheming God. Because of their pains and their sores, and did not repent of their deeds. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be 
prepared. What does that sound like? Not, not what does the drying up of the Euphrates sounds like, but think about what we just read in Zechariah. What do you think the drying up of the river Euphrates does? It allows them to pass in order for all the nations of the earth to be gathered together. Okay? And so, um, verse 13, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the, the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, for they are the spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief, Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place, which is in Hebrew, Armageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as a mighty great earthquake. Uh, such a mighty and great earthquake as it had not occurred since men were on the earth. Does that sound like Zechariah 14? And now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and the great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, the mountains were not found, and great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Okay, now, at this point, chapter 17, chapter 18, you get into the, um, who is the, um, the beast, the description of the beast and the, the woman riding on the beast. Okay? And so we want to skip through that, j- jump to chapter 19, where we pick it up after the, the, um, the parenthesis of the, of the discussion of the beast and the discussion of the, um, the wedding supper of the lamb. And so chapter 19, Revelation 19, verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse and he who sat on him was called Chesed Nemet, faithful and true. And in, in, in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Remember that. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Who is it? Jesus. Okay. In the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Who were those? The saints. Didn't we just read about that in Zechariah 14? And the saints were going to follow him? And who was him? Jehovah. Yahweh. Zechariah 14. Yahweh speaking. Yahweh says he's going to come and the saints are going to be following him. And that his feet are going to be on the Mount of Olives. But that's what we what? Read here. And we're told specifically that it's who? It's Jesus, right? Now, verse 15, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself, who? He himself. Who's the he himself? Jesus. Remember that when we finish that, Zechariah 14. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he, was on, he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and crying with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of the heavens, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them. If you remember when Chuck was reading, and we'll come back to it maybe, what's going to happen to the, these armies? God's going to put on them a what? 
a great, a great plague. It's going to be like they, they're, they're rotting all over their bones and decaying. Kind of sounds like that, right? Gather together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Verse 20. Then the beast was captured and with him his image. These two were cat, oh, with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived many of those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with a sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Then we go into chapter 20, okay, which I'm not going to read right now, but you can see it right there. What happens in chapter 20? What's established in the first seven verses? Say again. The reign of Christ. What, what three words be four words, depends how you want to put it, is stated over and over again in those seven verses at chapter 20, Revelation 20. It's going to be for what? How long will it be? A thousand years. Count it up. How many times does it say that? A thousand years. In just those seven verses. All right, if you've got to take off your socks, please do. <laughs> At least four. How many you got? Five. Anybody else get five? Oh, Mark's, I see Mark's hands with the five. She missed one. That's right, six. Okay. So, so at least six times in seven verses, okay, when you're looking at things that are repeated, do you think it's important? Do you think he wants us to think that it's, to believe that it's really what? A thousand years? Do you think that's figurative? He doesn't say like a thousand years there. He says what? For a thousand years. Do you get it? And he says it six times in seven verses. So at the end of the battle of Armageddon and all this rotting of the flesh and everything else that's going to go on, Jesus, we're told very clearly, is going to reign as the king of kings and the lord of lords for 1,000 years. Go back to Zechariah 14 now. Because in Zechariah 14, we read then that Yahweh says that he's going to come on the Mount of Olives, he's going to come with all of his saints, and he's going to come at an undisclosed time, and he's going to fight for Israel, okay? Which we saw in chapter 12, verse 9 as well. But we see here again in chapter 14, verse 3, Yahweh will go down and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle, okay? So he's going to go on. But then we're told in verses 12 to 15 as well, and this shall be the plague that he's going to plague these people, and this shall be the plague which Yahweh shall strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet, their eye sockets shall dissolve or decay. In their sockets, their tongues shall dissolve or decay in their mouths. Doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? Anybody ever watch the, the old um, um, Indiana Jones movies? I can hear a couple of yes. And, do you remember um, when the, was it the Ark of the Covenant? They were going for the Ark of the Covenant and they, they put it into the cave and then they... Um, he says, don't look, don't look, you know, when they, when they go to open it, okay, and they open it up, what happens? They melt, they dissolved. Do you wonder where, you, where they got the imagery? I'm telling you, these guys, they know the Bible. It's so amazing to me how many of these people, they know the Bible, and yet they don't believe it. I mean, they make these movies where they bring this stuff in it, and then they just kind of, it's like, almost like it's mocking, you know? I mean, how much is there? But they get it. I mean, even the world understands that this is exactly what's going to happen in this day when the nations are gathered together against God. Because he who spoke the breath of life into them is going to do what? Suck it right back out. 
then they're going to dissolve. There will be no life in them. God will bring them a plague that their, their bodies just decay on their bones because he will no longer... I mean, think what we're told in, in Colossians. That is, it's Christ is the one who, who holds all things together. And he's going to say, fine. This is the end result of you being your own God. Watch what happens. Your body what? Just decays. Because even your very existence is reliant upon God keeping you alive. Marcia said, when we get to the end here, we're got... God's going to take away the rain. She leaned over and she says, it's no longer going to be, and so the rain's going to come upon the just and the unjust. The grace is gone. Grace, God poured out his grace, poured out his grace, poured out his grace, but it's gone. The window is <laughs> closed. And now they begin to see the end results of everything. And i got to go through everything coming in, though. Isn't that fun? So now we have the gathering of the nations to worship. And so now, and on the heels of that, we run into Revelation chapter 20. Okay? Where the nations are destroyed, and now all of a sudden, in that day, they're going to come back. They're going to worship God. Okay? So chapter 14, we then read, verse 9, And Yahweh shall be king over what? All the earth. The reign of Yahweh, he will reign over all the earth. But this is exciting. The next thing that states here is the oneness of Yahweh. Look what it says. In that day, Yahweh shall be king over the all, all the earth. In that day, it shall be, Yahweh is what? Yahweh is one. All the way back at the formation of Israel, when Moses is, has brought them out of, let's say the formation, but Israel going into the land, Okay. That Moses is giving them the final message, and Deuteronomy 6 is the Shema. And so whenever you see a, um, someone with a phylactery, or they have the mezuzah on the, on, they kiss when they go in, the Jewish person, they have that little box on, the, on, the, um, on their doorpost, and they kiss it. In that box, in the phylactery, they have a little scroll with something written on it. Shema. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh your God, Yahweh is Echad, is one. And so we come all the way back to this moment, all the way back, that in it shall be in that day that Yahweh shall be one. So there are people who look to you and I as Trinitarians as being polytheistic. Sadly, they don't get it. This is a very Trinitarian statement. In that day, Yahweh's name will be singular, will be one. It always has been. And so if you were down the Augusta Rescue Mission a couple months ago, you would have heard me share from Matthew 28, okay? And so we have the Great Commission, right? Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me, therefore what? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the names. Is that what it says? It doesn't say that. It says, in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because they only have one name. And that name is Yahweh. 
you're speaking to a Jehovah Witness, it's Jehovah. I can describe how that plays out. They're going to have one name. The name is Yahweh. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 24, Unless you believe I am, I am, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe, ego in me, I am, I am, you will die in your sins. The deity of Christ is so huge. You know, you're not going to read it in your English, but if you have a literal English Bible, what you'll see is it says, I am he, but the he is in italicis. That means it's not there in the original. Get rid of it. Unless you believe, uh, and then there's no descriptor. I mean, if he says, you know, the door or the way or whatever, there's nothing there. Unless you believe, I am, I am. And it ends there. You will die in your sins. Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about that, that because of Christ, who was in a very morphe God, thought of not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant was, and was made in the likeness of men, and then he humbled himself even unto obedience to the cross, right? Therefore, God has given him, what? The name. The name, that is, above Every name. Well, what name is above every name? Is it Jesus? It's not Jesus. Because some could come to you with another Jesus. What's the name that is above every name? Zechariah 14? Yahweh. And God has given him the name Jehovah, Yahweh, that is above every name. That's why it's Yahweh, Jehovah, that we see who's coming, and every eye will look upon him whom they have pierced. Do you get it? That's what my, my whole thing, like when I meet with the Jehovah Witness for Mormon, if I can show you that Jehovah or Yahweh is Jesus, will you believe it? Do you want to know truth or do you want to know your own doctrine? That's why I say, look, if Jesus isn't Yahweh, if, if he isn't God, I mean, it's all gone it, because the Old Testament teaches it. We saw it in Zechariah chapter 2 that Yahweh Sabaoth sends Yahweh. Jehovah sends Jehovah. How can it be? I don't know. But I believe it because God's word says it. That within the Godhead, there are three persons. Yahweh Sabaoth and Yahweh and Yahweh Ruach. Is that how it plays out? I, I cannot, don't quote me on this one and say, so Yahweh Sabaoth is the Father and Yahweh is, is Jesus and Yahweh Ruach is the Holy Spirit. Man, I, I, I'm, I still, 30-something years into this thing, and I'm still just like pouring over the scriptures and, and crying out to God, I want to understand it more. I just want to understand it. Make sense? I mean, because I mean, I just, but I know it's true, and if it's not true, I'll get rid of the whole Bible. It is so overwhelmingly throughout Old and New Covenants. Yahweh is Echad. In his name, his name is one. And so that whole thing, what I read there in, Philippians, in Isaiah 45, where Yahweh says, unto me every knee will bow and every tongue make an oath. Well, that's what it says in Philippians chapter 2. It says that, that he's given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue take an oath. 
Wow. That's pretty. I mean, did Paul think that Jesus was Yahweh? I think so. I mean, he's equating Yahweh versus either that or Paul. Paul's a hypocrite or a, a, a um, not a hypocrite, a, a heretic, false prophet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, he's teaching falseness. I mean, and he should be stoned. Do you get it? But, we, again, we're looking at this from the Old Testament, and we see it very clearly. Okay? Then you have this worship of Yahweh. First of all, you've got the edict to the nations, where, where the nations are told that they need to come. Okay? Verse 16, It shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king Yahweh Sabaoth, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, and it shall be that whichever the families of the earth do not come to Jerusalem to worship the king, Yahweh Sabaoth, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which Yahweh strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So, the edict is that they need to come and they need to worship the king. Who is Yahweh Sabaoth? So, therefore, I just said to you, remember how I'm still struggling with this? Do you have Yahweh Sabaoth? Do you have Yahweh? I mean, so, clearly, Yahweh Sabaoth is Yahweh. I mean, how does this play out? I don't know. Okay? And so, but they're supposed to come up and if they don't come up, and we're going to talk about when they come up in just a moment here. Well, if they don't come up, what's going to happen? No rain. So do you believe it? See, think about this. Do we believe it? So if we go through a drought, is it weather patterns? Is God withholding the rain? Immediately we, we say what? Weather pattern. Weather pattern. Oh, look. The, we, we've got this storm coming up from the Gulf Coast. Wasn't well, that coincidental? Oh, now all of a sudden you got a storm coming down from the, 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 the northwest and it's bringing freezing cold. Isn't that coincidental? I mean, I, I don't know how God intervenes and does that kind of stuff, but that's the whole conversation you have with Job, isn't it? You want to question me? Stand up, oh man. It's time. Let's bring it face to face. Bring it on. Let's, we're face to face. In fact, before you start questioning me, I'm going to ask some questions for you. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Do you know where I store up the ice? Do you know how the storms come? I spoke, and I shouldn't have spoken. You know, no, no, it's too late now, Joe, buddy. <laughs> now we're coming on. Behemoth, can you make him? What about Leviathan? Go and put a hook in his nose. See if you, you'll remember the day you did it. And yet we what? I just looked at the weather this morning to see what the temperature was going to be like today. You know they're up to two weeks of, of telling you now what, 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 what it's going to be like. The 10-day forecast is 14-day forecast. And, you know, it used to be you wanted to know a three-day. You know, can we, could we get a three-day? Could I just know what it's going to be like tomorrow? And now all of a sudden they're prognosticating what it's going to be like in two weeks from now. Have you ever analyzed how accurate that is? That's the, yeah, it's the only job you can be in and be wrong 67% of the time. And still get paid. I had a, my best friend in seminary was a... Um, a um, meteorologist who had gotten saved and, and like I same kind of testimony he, but he was a meteorologist got saved and then went to seminary so we we're a little bit older so maybe that's why we kind of older we were in our late 20s and all these other guys were young 20s anyways but we were different because we had been in the world already and had jobs and uh so we kind of got together and uh he gave his final message um his senior message on on the book of job on that passage i was just quoting from 
And he said, it's really an amazing thing that before they had Doppler radar and, and all this kind of stuff, when they first started recording the prognostications of meteorologists, they were only 67% accurate. But now with Doppler radar and everything else, we're 67% accurate. Do you get it? They can do all the technology they want, but man still hasn't got a clue how all this plays out. Why? Because God ultimately is the one who reigns over all the weather. And he's going to withhold the rain from these nations. There's going to be a drought for an entire year. An entire year. Do you know what will happen to a, if you don't have rain all year? I mean, we see what happens when we don't have rain for a couple weeks. All year? Do you think next year you go back to worship? Talking about time out. To keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Why do you think, of all the feasts there were, there were seven feasts, why do you think it's important that they came to do the Feast of Tabernacles? I thought the feasts were only for Israel. But now all the nations are supposed to come and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. They're all supposed to come, pilgrimage, to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. Why do you think that is? What was the Feast of Tabernacles all about? Sachath. It was when they made their booths. And they remembered what? And they remembered when they were in the wilderness. It's not the only thing they remembered. Debbie? you got to say it real loud. No, Passover. That's Passover. This is Sachath. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. They were delivered from Egypt. But that's still part of Passover. Ah, the presence of God. He was in their midst. Every day they woke up, they saw the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. Yahweh himself was in their midst. Yahweh himself was the Shachanah Chabod. The tabernacle and glory of God was in their midst. Rome, Romans, shoo, John chapter 1. We read that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and God was the Word. No, I know your King James, or your, your English version doesn't say that it's wrong. In the Greek it says God was the Word. And then we read in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we beheld his Glory. Jesus, while he was on the earth, was the Shekinah Chabod of God. He was the tabernacling glory of God on the earth. And he's going to come back. And he's going to reign. And every nation is going to be forced to recognize and confess that he is. That feast is for him. That when they come back, it's going to be a declaration that they recognize that the king who they see physically is really the eternal God. Just being manifested. How can it be? I don't know. What an exciting time. Then there's the effect of Yahweh's presence. At the very end, it just seems like, like afterthoughts almost. It says, in that day, verse 20, holiness to the Lord. Stop for a moment. Holiness to Yahweh. Where do, you, where do you remember that from? It's, it's, in big, it's in all caps and quotes because it comes from someplace. Where does it come from? Say again? Well, no, that's where I'm reading it from, Zechariah 14. But where does where, where that? It shall be that holiness to the Lord. Holiness to the Lord is from what? Not Revelation. Exodus. No, that's, that's, that's Yahweh. 
No, 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 no. So holiness to the Lord was what was stamped upon the plate that was placed upon the mitre of the high priests. Because they were holiness to the Lord. That which was totally set apart for the tabernacle and for the temple was holiness to the Lord. What's holiness to the Lord going to be stamped on in that day? What's it say? The bells of the horses. Can you think of anything that's like any more mundane than the jingling bell of a horse? What's the point? Everything is going to be consecrated to Yahweh in that day. Everything. To the, to the smallest little thing that goes on, it's going to be holy to the Lord. Holy to the Lord. Whether you eat or whether you drink, do all to the what? Glory of God. How many things ought to be done to the glory of God? How many things ought to be done considering the holiness of God? Everything. Guess what's going to happen when Jesus comes and reigns on the earth? It will be. It will be. Everyone shall be consecrated. Look what it says at the very end here then. He says, the, about the pots of the Lord's house shall be like bowls of the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Jeru- Judah shall be holiness to the Lord's Sabbath. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day, there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of Yahweh Sabaoth. Every individual, every individual will be consecrated. And there will no longer be a what? A Canaanite. A Canaanite in the house of Yahweh. What do you think that means? Brian? They should have. Good. They should have, but they didn't. So if you read from Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah is going on the same time as Zechariah, right? Nehemiah goes back to, to the king for a period of time, and he comes back into the, to Jerusalem. And what does he find when he comes back the second time? They're intermarrying with the Canaanites, and Tobiah is where? He's in the temple. He's got an office in the temple. They go back. Zechariah is here. They're, building, they're rebuilding the temple, right? Nehemiah goes back to help them build the wall. They're doing all this stuff. And so he's, he's saying, you guys don't have no part with us. Get away, get away, get away. You don't have no part with us. And then he comes away back to the king, and he comes back, and he finds out that the people instantly have gotten back into their wicked ways. That's what Zechariah is talking about. That's what Yahweh is talking through Zechariah. He knows exactly what these people are going to do. They're going to rebuild this temple. They're going to build the walls. And they're going to go back into their paganism just as they were. But in that day, it won't happen again. It won't happen again. Because Yahweh will be on the earth himself. And he will consecrate everything by his blood. He will consecrate every person by their blood. Now, it doesn't mean they're saved. It doesn't mean they're saved but it's set apart. It's cleansed. How do I know that not every person is going to be saved? This goes beyond Zechariah, back to Revelation 20, just to kind of finish the story out. Say again, Mark. Satan's going to be released, and there will be another rebellion. And and Satan will gather up the nations to attack one more time. He's just reigned for a thousand years on the earth. You've seen him withhold the rain. You've seen all these things that he's done for a thousand years, and yet at the thousand years, you're going to think what? 
We can take him on. We can take him on. He's, he's, not, he's not invincible. We, we got this. We'll show him who's really in charge. There's still another battle that we don't even read about in Zechariah. Isn't that amazing? Because people don't learn. So, in the end, is it your desire to be consecrated to God? Do you seek to glorify Him in everything you do? That's His desire. When He comes, everything's going to be consecrated. If we know that, don't you think it should be our desire to do that now? To be holy as He is holy? What do you believe about Yahweh? Is Jesus the physical manifestation of Yahweh? Is he Jehovah in the flesh? I, you know, I'm assuming everybody here, you know, you come here and you believe this. But, I mean, I know, even I'm the pastor, you know, and I know how hard it is for me. You know, I, this is not a blind faith thing for me. This is, I want to know the truth. You get it? And so I search this stuff out. I let the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons challenge me. Because if they're right, they're not. But if they're right, then what? Then I'm wrong. And I have the decision to make. Do I only believe my doctrine because it's my doctrine? Or do I believe it because it's true? And so if it's not true, then I don't want to believe it. Do you get it? That really causes you to tremble, doesn't it? Oh, i got a pastor who doesn't, is willing to give everything up. I am. I'm will, I don't care what it is. I'm willing to give it up if it's, not in, if it's not in God's Word. If God doesn't teach it, you better be willing to give it up. You don't believe me. Believe God. Jesus is the physical manifestation of Yahweh. Again, I'm willing to die for that. I mean, I, I can't get around it. Does it make sense? Not always. I mean, I get it. When the Jehovah Witness and Mormon, you know what their favorite comment is? I mean, you, if you've met with them and you've talked to them, what's the favorite thing they want to say? Who is Jesus talking to? Was he talking to himself? Isn't that kind of weird? I mean, if he's God, if he's Jehovah, who's he talking to? Is he talking to himself? That's because you, you, don't get, you have, haven't got an understanding of the tri- triunity of God. I don't, can't say I understand it. I'm just saying I, I, I just see what God's word says. But th- doesn't that, I mean, think about it. It causes me to struggle. I mean, I mean who did Jesus talk to? I mean, I mean, how does that look like in the Trinity? I can't comprehend that, you know? It's like if I'm talking to myself, you know, you'd think I was, What? Need to go to the hospital, right? So, but he's not talking to himself, and yet he is talking to himself, and he's not talking. It's mind-boggling. But what I know from God's word is, he is Yahweh, manifested in the flesh. I know that. And therefore, there are three, and yet there is one. And he hasn't chosen to, to let us know how that plays out. Is there then a need to change the way you think? which ultimately will change the way you act. If you really desire to know the truth, if you really, really want to know the truth of God's word, what, will, what, what, what effect will it have in your life? You'll search the scriptures daily, like the Bereans. They didn't believe anything Paul said to find out whether the things that were taught to them were true. You will not offend me at all by checking me out. Because if I'm wrong, I want to know it. Does that make sense? If I'm wrong and you haven't checked me out, who's going to give an account for that? You are. I will, for sure, but so will you. Because you have the opportunity 
to do that. Let's pray. Father, help us to hunger and thirst for you and your word, your righteousness, your truth, your kingdom. Lord, help us to desire to be set apart as you are set apart, to be holy as you're holy. Lord, I pray that you would take these very lives. Lord, as we have studied Zechariah and we've studied Jeremiah and, and working on Ezekiel, I'm continually mindful of how Israel heard your truth, comprehended it, and yet still rejected it. They desired not to be consecrated to you, but to themselves. That they wanted their pleasures more than they wanted your purity. Lord, cause us to hunger for you. To spend time in your word, in your presence. Magnifying you for who you are, what you have done. What you will still do. Lord, help us not to believe just because it's how we grew up. Lord, we could have grown up a Muslim. We could have grown up Jehovah's Witnesses. Lord, help us to have a passion for your truth. Cause us to be a people who truly are your body, who are being led by the head for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.